Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kurt Point, the Editor-in-Chief. Well, thankfully, the municipal campaigns are over now. Uh, the proportional representation referendum, though, is underway. And I thought it would be a good time to get some reflections from our in-house public opinion researcher, Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. here in Vancouver. Good to have you here. Great to be here. Um, were there were there meaningful differences, like like actual political shifts that took place in the way votes were allocated in these campaigns, didn't you think? Well, I think we're looking at uh, three very different situations uh, happening in the three biggest municipalities. We can start with Burnaby, where they essentially kicked the mayor out, but kept the council almost in the same fashion as they had it before. So yeah. that's going to be a challenge. Uh, we get Surrey, where everybody voted for the Safe Surrey Coalition, except one member of Surrey First, who is ironically... Uh, one of the coordinators or the organizers of Crime Stoppers. So there's definitely a situation where I think right now Doug McCallum is looking at this more as a referendum on SkyTrain versus LRT. But when you look at the findings and, and the situation that we saw after the election, it's more of a referendum on on safety. Safety, right. Uh, and in Vancouver, uh, a lot of support for the MPA as far as the numbers in council, but the share of the vote is actually down from the last election. They got mm. around 32%. Now they get around 24%. And I think a lot of people who came in at the last second uh, to vote uh, essentially gravitated towards Green Party candidates, not Vision, a little bit of Cope, a little bit of One City, yeah. but mostly Green Party candidates if you were more center-left-minded. Yeah, would you say that the Green Party now is the ascendant political party in this city, municipally? Absolutely. I think you go from a situation where Adrian Carr was very popular in the last election. She won barely in the election previous to that, and now she's again the number one vote-getter. Uh, there was a moment throughout the night when it seemed that all four councillors from the Green Party were going to make it in. Ultimately, it's three. I think it's better than what they expected to see happening. Mm. And we could be looking at a major shift here. We might see a situation where the Greens essentially try to assemble a real party and do things differently as far as a mayoral candidate. Next um, time. What is going to happen? We, we could see a situation like the one we saw in New Westminster where some of the councillors gravitated towards the mayor who was the incumbent at the time and created this Team Cote thing. So are we going to see a Team Stewart that has the green scope one city, uh, we still have a little bit of time to go. Yeah, I, I want to get uh, want to get to the the shifting uh, alliances and things uh, uh, as we discuss this. But the one area that I think uh, some people are still wondering about is: Does it appear that both the Greens and the NPA did the right thing in putting together the extent of the slates that they did? Did the Greens put too few on, and did the NPA too, put too many on? The slates. I think that's definitely part of the problem. Uh, if we had had fewer candidates from the NPA, then maybe the share of the vote isn't spread out uh, as thinly between the eight that were listed. Uh, for the Greens, there was always this idea of only have three instead of four. Uh, they had four and they elected three. So maybe if they had five, they would have elected four, partly because of uh, the disappointment of residents with Vision Vancouver. You know, they only elected one person in the entire slate. Uh, yeah. It's not a, a good thing to have. And I think a lot of people really researched uh, independent candidates on their own, but it didn't really materialize for everybody who was essentially arriving to the uh, to, to their own polling stations on Saturday and were, they were looking at the party names and not necessarily the names of the candidates. Do you have a theory about what might have happened to the vote had, say, Shauna Sylvester determined that she wasn't going to run for mayor but was going to run for council? 
because she did very well in the mayoralty race. Well, one of the things that was really interesting in the surveys that we did related to independent candidates was how many people wrote the name of Shona Sylvester as a candidate for council, not as a candidate for mayor. Ah. So there's definitely a little ah. bit of that idea of uh, maybe it would have been better uh, to do it that way. Um, one of the things that we saw on the exit poll is uh, people who voted for Stewart would have been happy with a Sylvester win. People who voted for Sylvester would have been happy with a Stewart win. So there was definitely a center-left split when it came to the final tallies. Certainly not as dramatic as what we saw in Surrey, which enabled Doug McCallum to win. Yeah. Uh, but definitely it's not a situation where if Sylvester had won, the Stewart voters would have been disappointed. But the presence of both of them in the Merrillty race almost cost either of them the win. Absolutely. It was closer than, than many people expected. Yeah. Uh, essentially, I mean, and I don't think it was necessarily a fantastic campaign on the part of the MPA. Their, their share of the vote is down from the last election for mayor. Uh, nobody came close to getting 70,000 votes. So there's definitely a, a, a situation there that were, even if there, it looked a, as a victory because of the number of councillors you have, it's essentially a drop. It, it, they really need to regroup and try to figure out how to get more votes. But and and this is where I think we can talk about one of your latest polls. Uh, but there were so many candidates. There were 21 for mayor, 71 for council. Uh, what's what's up here? <laughs> I think it's too easy. And when we ask people about this, you know, this is this is something that uh, that Mike Klassen wrote about a few years ago. Should we? Have a higher threshold. Should you pay more money to register as a candidate? And should you have more signatures a, than just 25? It's 100 bucks. It's 100 bucks that you get back at the end of the process. Right. Uh, so, you know, more than half of residents say you should pay more, uh, maybe 500. Mm-hmm. And there is uh, more than two thirds who say 25 signatures is nothing. You, you need to do something better. I mean, we saw those scenes in, at 5 to 4 p.m. on the day of registration where people are outside begging people who are waiting for the boss to sign their nomination papers. There's got to be a better way. And also part of the problem is many of these people are just doing it for the fun of it. Right. Uh, and, you know, there's many other elections where we can vote for the fun of it. There's plenty of reality shows where you can vote. Every single person can do a Twitter poll. Yeah. If you want to click on something, be happy. But, you know, this was, an, this was a real distraction from the process. Yeah. Go ahead. Run for strata council. Um, <laughs> if, you, if, you want, if you want a real commitment. That's commit. a tough election By the way, if you, Yeah. And if you want commitment, <laughs> you, better, you better be prepared for that one. Uh, could you discern... Uh, out of this, any relationship between some of the changes in the electoral financing uh, reforms that the NDP introduced and the results uh, across the region? Absolutely. I yeah. think there's a there's a, a lower exposure to advertisements than we saw in 2014. There's a big drop in the number of people who said, I knew that the election was happening. I was aware of some of the ads. Uh, it's also a reminder, in a way, that social media is not uh, an accurate representation of the electorate. You know, right. We saw a lot of people saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the best, we have the best team, everything's going to be fine, which is what you do in political campaigns. Nobody runs to say, I'm going to finish in last place. Uh, but it was really... Uh, something that was augmented because of social media. And, and, you know, you saw a lot of people who complain about not being in debates and who complain about the fact that they weren't really taken seriously. And the voters essentially decided that they were not supposed to be taken seriously because they end up with less than 1% of the vote. When I voted, um, I have to say I could see a number of very perplexed people in the room uh, because of the randomized ballot because it was not alphabetically done. And a lot of people didn't realize that. They, they had names of people that they, they knew or that they were going to vote for, but they suddenly encounter this uh, life-sized ballot pretty well uh, and had 
to go and try to find these people uh, out of 71. And and then for school board and for park board, there were also massive numbers. I think it was like 158 people on the ballot in, in Vancouver. Um, what effect do you think the randomized ballot had? And, and, and does it look like something that is a keeper? You think? I, I don't think it, it necessarily will be. I think it was... Uh... Something that was exciting to watch for the people who like to follow municipal politics. Uh, we saw that the number of residents who took a list to the polling station to assist them in casting their ballot went from 43% to 65 So you essentially had wow. two-thirds of people who said, yeah. I need a list. I, I have to find them. The city had actually had to create a web tool for you to create your own, <laughs> uh, <laughs> your, your own voter sheet to deal with the fact that they had created a, voter, a vote ballot that was... Uh, monstrously large, yeah. It was too large. I mean, I don't know if we'll see a similar situation in the future. Uh, I don't think it worked too well in Mm. that sense. Uh, I've never been a fan of the idea that people get elected because their last name starts with A, B, and C. I think it goes definitely uh, into a very different direction in that sense. Uh, And it was a lot of effort. I don't know if we really want to do this again. If you want to have a a draw in, in City Hall that is going to take four hours to to end. And it's going to essentially make people believe that this is the right course of action. I mean, if you look at the number of votes from the t- from the ones who were listed at the top of the ballot, they're not necessarily higher than the number of votes for the ones who were listed lower if they weren't well-known candidates who were credible. Speaking of draw, what an issue in Peachland. <laughs> that was fascinating, wasn't it? <laughs> a tie, an actual tie. An actual tie. And then you got to draw. I mean, gee whiz, that would... That would, oh, even if I'd won that, I, I wouldn't feel good about that one. Well, I think they both took it very well. I think, yeah. you know, this is probably one of those enduring scenes of Canadian democracy of, oh, well, you know, we, we tried it and, you know, the, the, the lords of good luck weren't on our side this time I'm going gar- to guarantee that each of their friends in Peachland and then some are going to say they voted for them. No one wants to say, oh, gee, you know, the hockey game was on and I never got out. I'm so sorry. I cost you the I cost you the election. <laughs> well, it is one of those reminders that a vote makes a difference. Yeah, you know, it's uh, and again, you know, as we're heading into this proportional representation referendum, you know, it's it's ultimately about making sure that you get enough people to vote. I think there were expectations yeah. that the voter turnout would be higher because of all of the elect of the attention that was placed mm-hmm. uh, to the election. But you know, ultimately, a lot of people weren't as motivated as the last time, and it showed. Um, before we get to the, the proportional representation referendum, um, I want to get a little bit of a sense of you what, what you think people are telling their politicians uh, in this election about what ought to be their priorities for the next four years. What do you what do you think it is? Well, looking into uh, Vancouver specifically, uh, housing is an issue. Housing is a problem. Uh, housing is a situation that has. Uh, really created a lot of anxiety towards everybody. You know, it's not a situation that only affects millennials. And I think many times we think about it that way, but there's baby boomers who are worried about their equity. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's generation Xers who are starting families or having a second kid and trying to figure out what to do with that. Uh, I think that is going to be the one thing where uh, the new mayor is going to be judged. Uh, And it's not a situation where you can come out and just uh, say X number of houses or at this many thousand new homes, I think there's got to be a feeling among the people of the city that the situation is changing and that your friends aren't moving away. And, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily something that you can deal with financially 
or just with a bunch of numbers. I think it it really it really boils down to the nature of the city and the fact that residents need to believe that they can stay here. And yet, I'm intrigued by uh, research that was done by one of your uh, counterparts, uh, Evie Mustel, for the Board of Trade, where she uh, took a look at. Um, current and prospective politicians. And the prospective politicians were all very optimistic, very upbeat about the idea of solving the housing thing. The incumbents seem to be throwing pretty big doses of cold water on the whole idea, saying, look, let's be realistic here. Cities really can't, in and of themselves, change the complexity of this situation very much. Do you think the public is still wedded to these optimists and maybe to get a better grip on the realists here? I think they should. It's that it's definitely necessary uh, because this is not something that can be solved by one municipal government. I think you need partnerships in Victoria, partnerships in Ottawa. Uh, four years ago, we were talking about LRT happening now. It didn't happen in Surrey. Similar situation with the Ar- Arbutus Corridor. So there's there's so many things at play that uh, take a long time unless you have the, the, the actual partnerships from other levels of government to, to get them done. So... And again, you know, we have a lot of people who are new to this. Um, yeah. There's only a couple of councillors who are returning from the last uh, election. Yeah. Uh, the mayor is new. There's a lot of people out there who are going to have to be learning fairly quickly and, and making sure that they can navigate the bureaucracy within City Hall to get things done. And, uh, you know, when you're elected with a mandate uh, of roughly a third of the vote, that means that 67% of the voters are not particularly happy with what you were saying. So it's going to be a steep learning curve. Yeah. I want to get some early thoughts uh, from you about the uh, proportional representation referendum and where uh, where the public appears to be at the moment uh, and what are some of the messages that might drive people in one direction or the other. What, 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 are, what are your numbers telling you at the moment about where people are on PR? Uh, the number one answer that we're getting is I have no idea what this is and I have no idea how I'm going to vote. Uh, that's essentially around 40% of residents who, who already have their ballots. Yeah. So it's kind of a dangerous thing. I think if you look at the way other uh, similar exercises have happened in the past, you, know, you had a very clear idea of how you stood about the HST before you got your ballot. You knew exactly what you wanted to do in the Metro Vancouver plebiscite. This one's different. It's yeah. all up to you. You need to be the one to do the research, look at things, figure out if this is the way you want to vote. That being said, two of the three systems that we're going to be uh, voting for have never been implemented in any jurisdiction anywhere in the world. So that's definitely problematic. One of them is an invention from Alberta, which would be deliciously ironic uh, (laughs) that we essentially are saying that we don't want the royal, but we want a system that they've never tried before, which is kind of strange. But there's a lot of people who essentially are doubting uh, whether this is the best course of action and the campaigns from both sides have been absolutely ghastly. I mean, there's there's no real messaging about how things are going to go. The yes side is saying that everything is going to be cured because we're going to vote for a system that is going to be better. And the no side is saying that we're going to get lunatics elected. So when you have those two conflicting messages, it only confuses people more and they might actually be compelled to throw their ballot away. Does, yeah, uh, where do you think confusion leads? Because it, it is almost as if someone delivered uh, a computer to my house in a foreign language, and and uh, and I've I've got to figure out what the key what the keyboard actually does. Uh, uh, does confusion make people say I'm not going to vote, or does or does confusion make people say, well, I'm just going to make sure that this doesn't happen because I I, I don't want something that I'm ill prepared for. I think that's uh, it's definitely more the latter. You know, mm-hmm. people might say. 
I don't know what this means. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to be choosing uh, people who get elected. And the number one thing that I saw when I was conducting research at the federal level, uh, when Justin Trudeau promised electoral reform, was the notion of knowing who your member of parliament was. That was huge for people. Right. They didn't want to vote for a list. They didn't want to have somebody knock on their door and say, well, we need to get 17% of the vote because I'm number 34 on the list. That's just too confusing for people. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons for the over 55 group to be very, very disappointed with this. I can understand the 18 to 34s who maybe voted for a green candidate or an NDP candidate in the past, and they're more center left minded. And they say, my vote is wasted because I'm in a writing where the conservatives always win or where the BC liberals always win. And it's yeah. not fun, but it's, it's not, you, you don't always vote for the winner. I mean, this isn't the final of uh, American Idol. <laughs> How much uh, is in the mix here, Mario? Uh about, say, some cynicism that this exercise is really just a sop to three green MLAs for their support in order to extend a government and ensure that the NDP could, in fact, form government this time around. Does that cloud the picture so much that people are then going, oh, well, this is really not a legitimate exercise? I think it definitely plays a role, especially when you look at the situation from the standpoint of timing. There was no need to do this now. And there was the situation of the we campaign on this during the municipal elections. Is it going to be too distracting? People already have their ballots and there's debates going on. So yeah. it's a little bit more confusing. We didn't have that situation with the HST. You, know, you had a government who wanted it and a bunch of people who didn't. Similar situation with the Metro Vancouver plebiscite. This one's different. Maybe I voted already and I still want to hear what John Horgan and Andrew Wilkinson have to say. Right. There, you know, there are debates next week and... Presumably, there are tens of thousands of ballots that have already been stuffed back in the mail heading back to elections, BC. It's like finding that, that was... out about Hillary's emails the week after the election. <laughs> well, people also knew about a lot of Donald Trump stuff before the election. That's didn't why they didn't choose Trump as an example. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. Good call there. Listen, uh, we'll get you back as the campaign goes on. We want to hear, of course, how things are beginning to shift. But uh, the one, last thing I want to talk to you about is, is, are there particular messages, do you think, that each campaign can employ that might be very effective? Well, I think essentially the, the, the ones who want to keep first past the post are, are playing on the fear aspect. It's, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll get a bunch of groups elected uh, that don't have your best interest at heart and it'll be easier for somebody to get 5% of the vote. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's an argument that is uh, particularly poignant to people who are interested in change. Uh, there's always ways to see some elements hijack a party and turn it into whatever they want. Uh, mm -hmm. For an example, we can look at the United States of America right now. It's a very different Republican Party than the one they had before without any sort of change that makes it easier to elect people. Uh, for those who want to change the system, I think the key to the exercise is trying to talk about the realities of the situation. And when you compare a country like Canada or a province like BC, to a place like Denmark or Sweden, where it's very rare that governments fall, where everybody respects the will of the people, where the top party gets usually 25 or 26 percent of the vote. And you're not having a situation where you're prepared to topple the government. That's not our own tradition. We come from Westminster. We come from let's find a way to topple the government. And if we can, let's find a way to topple our leader. I mean, yeah. it's, we're not as bad as the Aussies, but it's still a situation where you're used to this idea of we need to get to power uh, by any means necessary. So if you move into a PR system, there's no guarantee that somebody's going to say, yeah, well, well, we'll just keep it going for the next four years and vote with you on some things and not vote with you and others. And everybody's going to, you know, hold each other tight and sing Kumbaya. I, I, I think it's a misleading argument. Yeah. 
People want stability, it seems, no matter what. Uh, Mario, good conversation. Always good seeing you. My pleasure. Thanks, Kirk. Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. And that's it for BIB today. I'm Kirk LePoint. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time. 